0: Natural Solutions with Dr. J, your source for time-tested and cutting-edge natural medicine approaches to optimize your health, with your host, Dr. Jay Sordian. I believe that positive, supportive, loving, and emotionally and intellectually stimulating relationships are a very vital part of each person's healthy life. Without these kind of relationships, human beings cannot develop fully and cannot have a well-rounded and healthy life. Creating these relationships requires great communication skills and insights into human behavior. We all develop these to one degree or another just organically, but I think that there are special systems. If we learn them, it really gives us a much better chance of having great relationships in both business, personal, home, and intimate relationships. Natural Solutions with Dr. J is not only simply about health care and natural remedies, acupuncture, hypnotherapy, functional medicine. We also explore the larger realm of health and education, and that includes innovations in education. Mm-hmm. So in this series, in this episode, we're going to be talking with an educator who is on cutting edge of ideas regarding how to improve the educational system. And I will also be mentioning aspects of the Supercharge Student Success programs which I have developed and I do trainings in around the country and the world. Let's listen in to a new conversation about education, you were on a panel discussing like five questions or six questions that has to do with education and mm-hmm. how education is that mainstream education is not necessarily meeting the needs of students of today
1: mm-hmm.
0: and right. uh, students in, in, in diff- with different cultural, socioeconomic and different backgrounds. Um, I, I know that you are uh, an educator you have a master's of education
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: that's from national university
1: yep that's my educational leadership masters so it um, allows you to be a principal or an administrator
0: <laughs> oh fantastic and you're both right yeah <laughs> i'm both because i
1: have my own school so yeah i'm both
0: <laughs> so so um maybe you could describe a little bit about your background how you got to be in education i know that you've you've uh, taught been part of Teaching in the San Francisco Bay Area for ten years. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that's right. And and that was uh, did that was that what got you interested in doing the masters, or was it prior to that? That.
1: Um. Well, you know, I transitioned from corporate America, so um, I went into teaching because I was in business, and it was like uh-huh. I wasn't satisfied. I felt like I was a warm body. I was an HR manager, so it was oh, to right. the point. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, I was working 12 to 15 hour days and, you know, your salary. And then I had my daughter and uh, I think the final straw was when, you know, she caught the flu and I was out for a week because you can't drop a, you know, one-year-old off at the daycare with the flu. (laughs) So I had called my boss and I said, Hey, look, you know, sorry, I'm not coming in again today. My daughter can't keep anything down. You know? And he's like, well, there's nobody here to do your job. I go, I understand that. However, my daughter takes precedent. And he said, well, just drop her off at daycare and come in. And I go, you know, daycare doesn't take sick kids, right, Brad? And he goes, well, they don't. And I'm like, I'm going, you've got a two and a four-year-old. Why don't you know this? He was like, oh, my wife deals with that. I don't deal with kids. And so at that point, I'm, I'm going, this is not really worth it because you want me to run back in to mediate, you know, one lady spitting and another lady's lunch? Really? And I'm like, if I'm going to deal with this... I'm gonna go deal with some kids, you know. Right. And you know, my well, sister. That's the had, same thing, right? Yeah. I mean, know, so like at least they have an childish excuse.
0: Childish behavior, actually.
1: Huh? Yes, and and these women are in their fifties, and I'm like, hey, you know what? At least the kids have an excuse. They're kids. What's their <laughs> excuse? <You know>? Exactly. <laughs> so I looked for it. I was looking for a different career that I could be more fulfilled in, that I could feel like I'm making a difference. And my sister, who um, has been in mental health for the past twenty years. Um, she's a marriage and family counselor, she is also a school psychologist, she actually just got her doctorate last year as well, we both graduated, so, um, you know, she was like, you should be a teacher, and I'm like, ew, a teacher, they don't make any money, and they got to deal with people's kids, And, and she was like, no, I think you'd be great, so I tried it, I said, okay, well, there's no harm, there's 45 volunteer hours that you have to do in a classroom, and so I loved it, I loved it. I was like, this is awesome. If I could do this every day, wait, I only have to be here six days and I get summers off and I get my weekends back and I get my evenings back. I was sold. I was really sold. So um, I went into a teaching credential program and um, knocked that out in 18 months and I started teaching. And so it was so do you really, have
0: a, do you have a full teaching credential.
1: Yes. So I have a K through eight California teaching credential.
0: K to eight. All right. Yeah, I have a I have a California uh, substitute teacher emergency credential, which I've had for like thirty seven years.
1: <laughs> got one of those too. So <laughs> because you know, while I was while I was um, doing my student teaching and doing my curriculum, I was also substituting as well. Right, so right. The, the cool part about my student teaching is that I got to go into charter schools and I got to go into Montessori. So I kind of got a, I even private schools. So I kind of got a full picture. And then I went into the public school. So I saw kind of everything that was going on. And then, you know, I did about 10 years in the public school system and realized really quickly that, oh, so this system isn't really designed for learning. Got it. And when I studied, you know, with my credential and I found out that the education system was not built to educate people and make them successful and make them smart. It was meant to educate, give them basic education for the workforce. It's industrialized. So they need you to know that, When we tell you to do something, like you hear a bell ring, that means go to lunch. When you hear the bell ring again, come back from lunch. You need to learn how to follow directions, and you need to be a good citizen. So be nice to people, be a good American, and do what we tell you to do. So that's what the system was designed for. So, you know, fast forward over what hundred years later, (laughs) we're still doing the same thing. It's like it's crazy because now people. People have different needs, technology has moved forward, and the school system hasn't. So it doesn't serve everybody. So,
0: so, so no, first of all, you you I I don't think I introduced you as Jasmine Johnson. Oh, okay. <laughs> so people don't necessarily know that if they're listening to a podcast. But anyway, uh and and um uh, also so you used to be in HR, like I've done a number of of uh, presentations, hour, hour and a half long, credited presentations to the well they changed it it used to be Northern California Human Resources Association and now it's called new uh-huh. change or something human uh-huh. resources uh-huh. but but I've given some talks to HR people on the use of personality typing to improve mm-hmm. communication mm-hmm. and reduce bullying and things like that and improve hiring practices uh, in different companies and, and different organizational situ- situations so I spoke to a lot of HR people met a lot of people. So it's very interesting that you started in
1: HR. Yeah, and I mean, it, it was a great background because it was you know a tr- it was a really good training ground for me because I always have a gut feeling about people when I meet people, and I always say I'm really kind of sensitive to you know vibes and that sort of thing. Right, so right. when you you know when you're hiring somebody or when you're taking them through a process, I would always be the one going something isn't quite right about this person, or you know what's going on here. And my boss would be like, well, look at their resume, it's awesome, and I'm like. Yeah, something's not right, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> and I took that HR, you know, experience and I applied it to my students. I mean, over the last 10 years, I've taught, you know, literally almost all the grades up to about 10th grade. And my focus uh-huh. has mostly been in uh, middle school. So I tell uh-huh. the middle school kids a lot of the time, like, hey, when you're looking for a job, nobody cares about your excuses. They just want you to see if you can get the job done. You know? <laughs> and yeah, so I would too. use a lot of, yes, So I use a lot of the background that I had and I would tell them like, look, you know, you know, if you have this attitude or if you talk to somebody in this way, this is going to happen. And nobody has really talked to them about about that. I mean, even personally in all aspects academy, um, we use personality and learning styles and all that to determine the curriculum because we personalize curriculum for all students. So so
0: fascinating.
1: Yeah. So it's it's personalized education. It's not just I'm throwing it on a Zoom for two hours with a bunch of other kids it's right. i'm finding out what your learning style is okay are you visual are you auditory you know what's your learning style okay so what's your
0: path? The, so so one aspect of learning style has to do with like neuro-linguistic programming kind of yes technology that one okay and yeah. do you also use other personality style and personality typing systems to blend those i mean that's something that as a uh naturopath and someone who's who's taught lots of uh, class i'd Also done substitute teaching elementary, middle school, high school, you know, in charter schools like the last couple of years. And so um, I'm kind of I know how that applies there, but also with patients and one on one and the dynamics of the families that they come. They come to me in a context and an environment that's outside the clinic, but it also has a huge impact upon their health and their success and their mindset, too. So I've integrated a lot of different um, technologies besides just oriental medicine or herbs and, and acupuncture and that type of functional medicine. So NLP is something I, I study and I, mm-hmm. I try to apply and also teach my patients when it's appropriate because uh, that can be really key. And, and I've also, in some of the schools that I have substituted in, if the curriculum's not clear or the teacher wasn't really clear or something, I say, well, would you like to learn something special? You know, Mm -hmm. it's something Mm -hmm. you probably will never learn in any other school because I didn't learn it. And so I go through like a little experiment. And uh, have you done like uh, NLP questioning to elicit a person's, uh, you know, how their eye movements work?
1: No, I haven't actually got to that point, but I am developing my own um, LMS, which is a learning management system with uh, the dev masters. And they actually do the AI to tell how the students are feeling. So it's really kind of cool because while the students are completing their work, their mood and their eye movements are being tracked. And so when we see that's really
0: actually used in your
1: school. Yes, it's actually being developed right now. I'm working with the team to develop it. And they're the top of the line for AI. So that's part of their LMS. They can tell what subject a student likes and doesn't like or how they're feeling that day. So you can know whether to check in with them or it's really, really cool. So, I mean, that would be something you would be interested in seeing yeah, so, definitely.
0: Yeah. So, is that something that's done? Uh, does it have to be done live or is everything's online now, right? yours, yours yeah. is like a virtual school, right?
1: Yeah, we so, are virtual hybrid. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Uh-huh. So, and right now, almost everything's
1: pretty much virtual. virtual. Yeah. Right? And it is. It's and, while they're working. So, it's being tracked. And, and
0: so, they have like cameras, like there's a camera that's watching their eye movements and everything while they're actually studying
1: there? Yeah, online. on their laptop. Yeah, on their uh-huh. laptop, they are not aware of it. The students aren't aware, but the parents uh-huh. know, of course. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everybody guess, else knows, uh, yeah. but we don't want the, the students to cover their laptop camera or feel like they're oh, being yeah, yeah. watched, but exactly. we are tracking those things through uh-huh. AI. So oh, it, it's really, really, really cool because it kind of shows their thought process and we notice what subjects they go to first and which ones they avoid. And then uh-huh. they, they do the timing. Okay, they spent, you know, 30 minutes on this thing. Or they were looking down a lot and looking away a lot, so they might not really like this subject or this style of teaching or this this curriculum per se.
0: I see. So, I see. Yeah. So so um, all of the all the studies that I've done with respect to how eye movements work with the with the brain and the brain physiology is like um, essentially each individual has different eye movements based on the particular functioning. Like if they're visual and they're visually. They're either imagining something visually or they're remembering something visually, their eyes are going to go a particular direction every single time. It's invariable, right? And so is that sort of included in the AI? Because if they're if they're reading something and then they suddenly have to think about it and they have to think about it visually, their eyes unavoidably will go somewhere unless they're being monitored and still you can't really fake it. It's I mean, yeah. I'll try to. <laughs> and so is that part of it? Because... My understanding is that there's a certain directionality that usually people have if they're in a feeling mode, if they're kinesthetically ha- operating, right? And mm-hmm. so it might be down mm-hmm. into the rider. It depends on the individual, but yes. um, often yes. it's that direction. And so if their eyes are going down, maybe they're feeling something, but how do they actually discern what they are feeling versus just a generalized mm-hmm. mode?
1: Well, the AI learns the yep. student. So the nice part is it does learn the student over time. And and that's all tracked. So it, it collects a lot of data initially, and then it starts spitting out things like, okay, this is out of character for this particular student.
0: All right, all right. All yeah, right. that's very interesting. And so, um, is there? I know that there are particular emphasis now on STEM and that type of thing. You know, trying to get more children involved and excited about science and technology and that type of thing. So, is the AI does that also like have that component? It says well, this person maybe is more inclined in that direction or this person maybe not so inclined. And do you you try to create a mesh where everyone has like some STEM interest or it's more like let's personalize because like in Europe, I believe, and some other countries um, by in in their standard education, they're already kind of tracking people. Okay, this person definitely not an academic type. So let's not like put them into a a track to go into college or university because that's, it's kind of pointless for their life. Uh-huh. Is there something uh, of that nature that you're already, that you're doing
1: or? Uh, no, what we do is just, uh, what I do is that I say that we take, um, we take off all the barriers. So wherever the student wants to go, they have the ability to go. That's why oh. it's super important that we offer, you know, a bachelor's degree by the time they graduate from high school. So if they want to accelerate and go really quickly, they can. But right. if they decide that, hey, you know what? I don't really want a bachelor's. And I want to do something else. Maybe I want to do a certain vocation. That's when we provide the mentorship and say, hey, okay, you want to be a chef or you want to be a, a nurse. So let's find you somebody who's an actual nurse and let's gear and personalize your curriculum to, you know, that science or whatever you want to do. And at that point, they're free to change their mind as well. So, you know, I do that. believe me, when I was in sixth grade, I wanted to be a lawyer. And then after that, I wanted to be a computer scientist, you know, so the the students have, I say that the students have the option to actually change their minds without costing costing their parents a bunch of money. Like, you know, some people do in in college, they change their major and now it's like, oh, you're doing another year or you're leaving and going to another school and that costs money. And, you know, you're, you're delaying your adulthood instead of, you know, really working on what your passion is or what you think you want to do. So we give the students pretty much an open kind of road and say, Hey, Pick what you like to do. You can try stuff. So they have the freedom to try different curriculum, different courses. Like if they go, I want to try coding. I'm like, hey, here you go. Take a coding class if you want to. If you don't like it, you can tell me a day in or a few hours in going, I don't really like this. We get rid of the course. You can move on to something else. So we want the students to experience as much as possible so they can understand what they are not choosing. <laughs> if that makes any sense. So that makes they, sense. Yeah. yeah, they have the ability to try things without consequence. And is, if they uh uh-huh. if they don't is like there, it, there, then they don't change. They can
0: change. If they yeah, want to. Is there a certain level of persistence, though? If they, I mean, you said well, they can do it for an hour. They can do it for like a day or something. And if they don't like it, then they can quit. Well, are there certain students who just like do that and then, switch, and then they switch and then they switch and they switch and they don't have a persistence because one of the things about success most most really whatever whatever the definition of success is uh, most successful people will say yeah persistence and actually bumping up against something and then going, oh this isn't working and keeping kind of going at it is one element that makes many people successful so can they switch off and keep switching or do you have students who just
1: keep switching or how, how's that work no i don't because um we're very actually selective with our students we want the students who are motivated to learn. Who kind of already know where they're going and they just uh-huh. need they just need those those barriers removed. Well, like for example, a perfect example would be a student sitting in a classroom. And I noticed this all the time when I was teaching in the classroom that 95 of your kids, percent of your kids aren't really learning. You've got about five percent who are at the top and they know it already, so they're bored, or you've got you know the majority at the bottom, and then you've got the rest in the middle. So I wanna basically make sure those kids who are at the top are going, I'm bored, I know this already don't have to wait for everybody else they can just move forward they're motivated they're you know they have the options open to move fast and then I want to make sure those kids at the bottom who are like I don't get this they can slow everything down if they need to and go through it so I haven't had the experience where any kids jump from thing to thing because they're they're actually they've already been conditioned (laughs) to just stick with one thing because it's just how they've experienced school so they're thinking I can't and I want to let them know that no, if you really, really hate this class, but you're doing it, but you're gritting your teeth, let's just stop and let's reflect and see what you don't like about it. Is Isn't that is it doesn't match your learning style? What is it that you don't like? And what I find with the personalized education is that if it fits how they learn and they like it and it's interesting to them, they don't usually change. I mean, it's gotten to the point where some some parents and students are like, hey, you pick my classes. You know, you see all my results. You see all my assessment scores. And I'm going that's true. This is what I think you'll like. And from what you're telling me and what you'd like to do and your hobbies, you would like this. And they've so far, they've liked it. They stick with it. So (laughs) I haven't experienced any kids switching or, you know, saying, oh, I want to do this tomorrow. Now I want to do that. I want to do this. They are really interested in kind of seeing it through because it's new and it's different and it feeds to their, you know, to their learning style and what they're interested in. So they want to see what does this thing do? What can I do? So now they're, they're intrigued.
0: Uh, It's sort of, I'm not a big expert on Montessori or anything like that, but I know that uh, some of the people in my family have done some Montessori classes in in school where essentially it's, it's student directed. And and if they're really interested in something, they just like dig into it and they just keep going, going, going. And so it sounds sort of like that, that it's, it's student interest driven uh, Uh, curriculum. True. I mean, my
1: experience in Montessori, um, I was at Golden Oak, Montessori, and Hayward. And what I didn't like, I was in a K-2 classroom and I was in a 3-5 classroom. So what I didn't like is that I couldn't tell a student that they were incorrect. They would not let me mark their paper wrong. They they wanted the students to come to us. We couldn't say, hey, are you ready to learn? We would have to wait for the students to say, hey, I need help or, hey, I want to learn this right now. So they're given like five hours to be able to learn something. But if they don't feel like they want to, then they don't. So like my first week there, I watched the first grader just stare out the window and I'm going, (laughs) I can't tell her that, no, you've got to let her work. And and then I'm looking over her shoulder and they're like, well, don't put too much pressure on her. I'm like, okay, but I'm looking and she's adding incorrectly. They're like, well, you can't tell her she's wrong. You have to wait for her to realize that and come to you. And so there was two teachers in the classroom. And meanwhile, it kind of seemed like the kids were going off making tea. And then, you know, one little group went to go make guacamole and sometimes the work got done. Sometimes it didn't. So it was a little too loosey goosey for me. So I'm going, if I can't tell them they're wrong, how do they learn? Because that's how, that's how learning takes place. Is I go, okay, this is incorrect, but let me show you. And if I can't say, let me show you, how are they really learning? I mean, a student doesn't know, especially in, you know, K through two, they don't really understand how their learning happens. You kind of just show them and then they you go from there. So, um, And then at the end of that, they didn't really have a Montessori high school they could go to. So there's like five desks in the classroom and there's like 15 kids, you know. So now when they go into this high school classroom and they're sitting 45 kids to, you know, to a desk, how are they going to function? And then after that, in college, how are they going to function in college? Because there's there's, people are going to tell you you're wrong. I mean, you know, you're going to get a marked up paper in red ink that says, hey, (laughs) you're incorrect redo this and how are they going to react emotionally are they going to shut down so i felt like it didn't prepare them and maybe it might have been that just particular school that i was at but i felt like it didn't prepare them for life and what they were going to go into and i believe grit is a really big part of education teaching them to persevere and like you know try again i mean there's not even a try i know one educator said he doesn't say try he always says attempt because by attempting over and over again that's how you learn and if nobody is challenging that, how do you learn? So that was my uh, my experience with Montessori.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah, I, I, I'm not an expert. I'm not like a, a, a great researcher on the different styles of schooling and what their ultimate, you know, their success rate is on exams or on getting into college or graduating and things like that. So I don't really know if, but I was just curious if that's, it's very interesting though. It's very interesting. I know that um, in general, a lot of, we all make mistakes and that's really important for everyone to, all students and all children, everyone to realize that even adults make mistakes Mm -hmm. and we learn a lot from our mistakes and, and correcting those mistakes is important. So I can see why, you know, to say that, well, this isn't this, this, I mean, in math, one one of the pet peeves I have is, um is using calculators so early yeah. in school life and children relying on calculators for things that I think they should be able to do in their heads. I mean, I think there's very few yeah. typical people who can't, like, do the math facts or are, are, like, physically and brain-wise incapable of doing math facts. Yeah, And I think yeah. that should just be burned in your system. I don't think people should rely on calculators. And so there's certain wrote things I think are just wrote I mean maybe I'm old school maybe that's wrong but I will go into classrooms and I say okay what's 12 plus 12 plus 10 they say wait let me get my calculator and I'm yeah and this is high school
1: I'm thinking something is wrong here something just that's something's not right. I agree it killed me and you know for the past five years I've taught math pretty much strictly so you know last year uh, was my last year in the classroom and I taught um, you know math seven, math eight, And algebra and science as well. But uh, my biggest beef was that the kids didn't know their math facts. How are you in eighth grade and you don't don't know what seven times seven is? You're pulling out a phone or a calculator, and I'm like, that's a third grade standard. And I have to really look at that, especially you know when you're dealing with lower income neighborhoods and minority students. I'm going, why don't they know this? And then I'm finding out that oh, in third grade they had a teacher who was you know. their teacher left and so they had no direction that person told them to pull out a phone or they gave them a coloring book or something crazy and they'd never learned and then they just kept getting passed along not based on what they know but based on okay you're 10 so you should be in the fifth grade okay you should now so now by the time they get to me in the eighth grade I'm going I got to prepare you for algebra and they're going I don't know what seven times seven is and I'm going how am I going to teach you algebra? How am I going to teach you, you know, radicals and all this other stuff if you don't have the basics? And I tell, I used to tell my eighth graders, I said, eighth grade is your last ditch effort to get it right and utilize all the, the basic knowledge before high school. And I'm like, if you don't have this, you're not going to be successful in high school. It's going to be very difficult. And so a lot of them are like, I'm bad at math. I'm not good at this. And I'm like, well, you don't have the foundation. So like, we need to prepare you with this foundation. And I wasn't really allowed to do that because it's, you know, you're you're liable to the district. You're liable to you know uh, the school board. They're telling you, look, you got to teach this, this, this. And even if they fail, as long as they saw it, then you've done your job. I'm going, no, I have not done my job because if they don't know, you know, their timetables, they won't see the connections in algebra. How in the world are they going to do this? They they can't. And my frustration was, they're going, oh well, they can't learn because you know they're poor. Or they've had trauma in their lives. I'm like, they can't learn because you haven't even spoke to their learning style. You haven't addressed the issues, you know? And, you know, with my kids, uh, you were speaking earlier about um, adults making mistakes. I would make mistakes on purpose sometimes and wait for them to find out. And so I'd sit there and I'd write a number and they're going, wait, what are you doing? Why did you write this? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. Why did I write that? Why is that wrong? And then they caught on and realized I was purposely making mistakes. (laughs) but.
0: That, it that's me. brilliant that's a great great <laughs> teaching style I don't, did you learn that or you just picked that up because it's really I, important to actually I picked it up
1: it. I, yeah. I, I did it actually I made a mistake uh, one time and I think it was early teaching and I remember um, you know one of my mentors says, it's okay you're human the kids need to know that even adults make mistakes and I was like oh okay so I said well what if I use the mistake because what's funny is a kid will call out a mistake that you do as an adult before they even see their own mistake they love it So they're looking for the mistake, you know, even something as simple as date. They're like, you misspelled January. And I'm going, no, you just don't know how to spell January. And so they're looking for the mistake. And when you're teaching math, it's really cool because all of a sudden I'm transposing numbers and it's like, okay, I was supposed to write 21, but I wrote 12. Who's going to catch that? And if they're paying attention, they go, hey, you messed up. And I'm like, really? What did I do? And it starts the process. Then they start telling me how I messed up and, you know, and then you're going, there you go. And now they're more aware. They're looking for the mistake instead of, you know, oh, this is boring. Whatever she's talking, blah blah blah. She wants me to take notes. Whatever. They're actually looking to see if she make a mistake. Can I call her out? Can I call out the teacher? <laughs> so, you know, that's something that I use a lot.
0: That's that's so interesting. I know I know that um, in some of the classes I teach, and 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 this personality system called Bank Code, which is okay. uh, blueprint action nurturing knowledge. The, okay. the knowledge people and that's my first place they tend to see mistakes faster than others and they really care they want things to be correct that's their first but then there's others who are like the action they don't care there can be mistakes all over the place and and Uh so what who cares you know And, and so per certain personality types i think pick up on that more and so that's really good for those to actually make some mistakes so they have a chance to also go, Oh, Hey, wait, wait, what's going on there? You know? And um, it's, it's, it's fascinating. uh, Personality differences in that way.
1: Yeah. So that, that would get some of the, even the kids who weren't very good at math, they're like, Hey, I know, you know, I may not know my math facts, but I know that's wrong. You know, (laughs) or even, uh, yeah, that's what I wanted. Or what I would do is say, okay, everybody, This is the warm-up in the morning. And I put, you know, a few problems of what we did the day before. And the kids would do the warm-ups. And I said, hey, you can work in groups or you can work by yourself. I said, it doesn't matter about the answer. Just work through it and do what you can. Don't ask me for help. Just do what you can. And if you have to pull out your notes or use your neighbor, that's fine. And so I would go up there and go over the warm-up. and go, okay, well, what is the answer for number one? And somebody raised their hand. It's like eight. And another person's like, no, it's not eight. It's 14. And another person's like, no, it's one and a half. And so i start writing all the answers on the board. And so they wouldn't know which ones were right. So I was like, hey, give me all your answers. So sometimes I'd have up to like 10 different answers. And I'm going, okay, I don't even see the answer on the board, but let's keep going. Because now, and then, and then of course you get that one kid who's like 10 million. And it's like, okay, whatever. It's not 10 million, but we have all the answers. And then we work through the problem. And then when we start working through the problem, they start seeing like, oh, the answer could never be this one oh, that's what I did wrong. And I'm like, okay, well, what do I do next? Okay. Let me cross off. Okay. Did we flip this? Did we do this, this, this negative and this negative? Remember they make a positive. So how is your answer negative? And they start to see like, oh, okay, maybe that's where I messed up. And at the end we get to look at all those answers and go, okay, this one's right. And we circle the one that's right because now they understand, oh, that's how the answer came about and they realize while well, the other ones were wrong and sometimes they even see how you could have gotten the other ones because they're going oh so if you multiplied instead of added you would have gotten that number so it kind of gets them working and it gets their mind working in a different way and if that person is you know more of a visual person they can see it and you know if they're more of an auditory while I'm speaking each step they're listening and if they're kinesthetic, they're working, they're writing down notes because they're going, "Oh, I'm not going to make this mistake again." So they're, you know, I'm trying to be to if different types of learning all at the same time while doing something different that they may right. not have experienced before.
0: Right? So in the uh, All All Aspects Academy, that's mm-hmm. what it's called, right? Yes. So how
1: long how long has that been around? It's been So we are recent. So I actually started with the idea in January, pre-COVID. So <laughs> And I was telling people about it, developing it, you know, and people were going, who's going to go to school online? And then COVID hit. (laughs) So, and I was really able to accelerate and put into the program everything that I wanted for my classroom, but couldn't do. So I wanted to incorporate technology because I found a lot of students, even though they're growing up in, you know, 2020, they know how to use a cell phone, but they didn't know how to use a computer. They didn't know how to use Microsoft Word. They didn't know how to use certain things. They didn't know how to use the Internet for uh, something other than Instagram and YouTube. So I wanted to make sure that they had a platform that they could utilize this tool called a computer as an actual learning tool and not as an entertainment tool. It's not a TV. It's an it's an actual tool. I'm like, this is your library. This is your everything. This is your communication. This is your connection to the world. And so um, I really wanted to create a program that did that. And that's what I based it on. I also wanted to make sure that we were getting to the nitty gritty and that we were doing the assessments. The assessments are the key piece to personalize their education. So, you know, like we talked about before, learning style, personality, and then actual knowledge of, you know, the curriculum. So math and English, we do two um, really, in, really deep, deep, deep tests and their uh, assessments. They were kind of relaxed, but the math test is a 14 point Test 44, excuse me, 44 point test to see uh, exactly where they fall, what skill are they missing? What skills are they strong in? And it kind of guides us. It's a path. And we do that with ELA too, with English language arts to see what language, well, you know, if, if this is not their uh, primary language, how does that work? Or where's their reading level? I mean, some kids you're thinking, uh, they read really well. And then you come to find out through the test that they don't comprehend anything they read. They're just able to read the words. And so, you know, phonemic awareness, all that stuff. So when I look at that, I can see where their gaps are. And then I can actually gear the curriculum to fill in those gaps. So a lot went into, um, you know, all aspects and creating things that would work and that would feed into um, the success success of the student. So we actually opened enrollment um, August 17th. And we started school. September 8th, but the program is very flexible. So kids can literally start anytime because they have 12 months from whatever they start to complete their curriculum.
0: I see, I see. And so this is uh, online plus individual tutoring or group tutoring or something?
1: Um, no, actually, um, the hybrid portion. So virtual, it's all independent, you know, and then um, later on, students, you know, if we want to meet as a group, we can. Um, you know, we, we're we still pretty new in our process, so we don't have a bunch of students who have the same interests who are gonna meet together at this point, <laughs> but that's coming later on down the line because, you know, when we do mentorship, we're actually trying to start a, a millionaire, multicultural millionaire mentorship program where kids can be mentored and have access to people who are millionaires, not just millionaires from America, but millionaires from people who are immigrants or from other races or countries and nations. So they can get, you know, um, just an idea and have access to those people. So we wanna create that. And then when once COVID lifts, we wanna do some hybrid stuff, which is where we go to maker spaces and we get to do the robotics and build things and we get to do fitness classes and cooking classes and science experiments together and field trips. So that's the um, hybrid portion of it. All right. And you so still need to socialize.
0: <laughs> so the online part is, is like pre made? Is it a particular. I know that in various charter schools, they use particular platforms and things of that nature. Is it something of that nature yes. that you use?
1: Or, uh, yeah, so I have a specific platform that I use. And they um, I don't want to just have one curriculum. So all the curriculum is accredited, but students have five different choices to pick from. So they, they supply five different types of curriculum. So whether a student, whatever a type of learner that student is and whatever works for that student, so they can use, you know, LinkedIn Learning, they can use Bright Thinkers, they can use, um, you know, Liberty um, Online, which is the Christian version, you know? So mm-hmm. they they have an option of what curriculum works for them and we can mix and match. So it's like, if they really like, you know, this Bright Thinkers curriculum for math, they can use Bright Thinkers for math. If they like LinkedIn Learning for English, they can use LinkedIn Learning. So we can mix, mix and match and we're not stuck with like, for example, in a typical school, if you got one textbook, you got to teach out of that textbook, they're not limited to that. So um, I don't have any teachers that I hire on my team. I'm the only teacher <laughs> on staff, um, but wherever the students are, because it can be done nationwide. So if you're one of my students who, who are in, you know, in New York, they can have a New York credential teacher teaching them. They can choose to have a teacher or they can choose to have self-directed. So if you feel, hey, you know what, I've got um, history down, I need a teacher for math, then we go, okay, let's get you a teacher for this math class. And they, they have a teacher. The teacher's more of a learning coach and more of a direct tutor than a sit-down-listen-to-me lecture for an hour. So, yeah, it's, it's very um, laid back. So the student, and matter of fact, the student even has access to 24-7 tutoring. So if they're, you know, up at 3 a.m. and they're working on their homework, they never have to worry about asking their parents for help. They can go on and go, hey, tutor, um, I've got a question. And they use the chat and they can chat with that person or they can schedule some time with their teacher the next day and say, hey, I need clarification on this. And the teacher can then go, "Okay, cool, let's meet. So there's a lot of supports in place.
0: So so you have students from all over the world or just in this country
1: or what? I can have students from all over the world. We're actually working on some global expansions um, because it's it's a possibility. To have students from everywhere i mean literally my parents are immigrants they're from the caribbean and i have cousins that wanted an american education but they weren't allowed to come here so you know some of them have gone to um britain some of them have gone to you know australia some of them have gone to canada a couple of cousins in canada right now because they weren't able to come to america and get american education well my program would actually eliminate that because now you are taking classes from you know american institution you can be awarded an American degree, and you can still be in your country. So, you know, we are looking to actually partner with different people who build schools and maybe, you know, communities around the world that don't have access and don't have teachers available. They've got a teacher online. As long as they have an internet connection or they're able to build maybe an internet connection in their area, in their village or wherever it may be, then they can have access to the curriculum.
0: Very interesting. So so I know that you mentioned that there's a EI component that's very important in in emotional intelligence and getting mm-hmm. uh, students part of that and leadership yes. and personal development. So so the school is fair, fairly new. Yeah. Just getting yeah. going. And so are those components integrated into it yet? I mean, are they are they a substantive part or that's coming, upcoming or exactly so, what that
1: so the, um, all the, um, the leadership and personal development, that is integrated to their curriculum. So they do have those courses. They have those SEL courses already embedded in there. So uh-huh. they're, they're working on it. But certain things, for example, my husband's going to be um, leading a program specifically for boys. I'm going to be leading one specifically for girls. That's called the Dapper Don Project. And so with that program, he's going to be meeting with the boys and actually putting some of this stuff into play and having discussions and showing them how to tie a tie. Some kids, some kids don't know that, you know, and showing them how to interact with people, what's appropriate, how to have chivalry and how to introduce yourself in an appropriate way or even code switching, especially students who, you know, and it's students from all cultures, sometimes don't understand how to talk to somebody who's in a position of authority. So instead of saying, hey, you, it's like, no, you're not going to say, hey, you to someone who's potentially your boss or somebody in a higher position than you. (laughs) You need to address the person appropriately. So, you know, those things um, he'll be addressing with them. And that'll be in addition to the curriculum because, you know, any kid can do some curriculum. But when you put it into play and put it into action and really get in there and have a discussion with other students your age and, you know, an adult who's been there, done that, then now it's more magical.
0: Very interesting. Very interesting. And, and so the, like the emotional intelligence portion,
1: mm-hmm.
0: to me, it seems that there has to be a, a social interaction. Uh, in which that context and that, and those skills are developed and improved. Mm-hmm. Uh, so right now it's all online. Is there an online component where the students interact with each other and that's part of the EI or is it, uh...
1: So that, that is coming. Uh-huh. That is actually coming. Um, as I said, we started September 8th. So I wanted to make sure that we had an, enough students and every student was comfortable with the, <laughs> with the platform before we started meeting. So, um, when students are in different time zones, it's a little challenging. Yeah. So right right now, um, most of our students are in California, so it's, you know, Pacific time. Some of them are uh-huh. still getting comfortable with the platform. So that's something that's probably going to be coming next month, where the students all meet together. And at this point, most of my students are, you know, from middle school to high school. So it, it's kind of nice because they're all around the same age group. We are K through 12. So, you know, for, for the time being, like I said, starting next month, they'll all be able to meet together and they're all around the same age. They're all, you know, sixth through ninth grade. Okay. So that'll be kind of nice. And they all live in different areas, you know, so it'll be really cool. So, yeah. So,
0: so, um, this, is this, is it structured kind of like a charter school, but not, it's not charter. It's private no, we are.
1: We, yeah, we are not charter. We are for profit. Um, And that was done purposely because I wanted to make sure that parents and students and I had the flexibility to do whatever the student needed to be successful and give the families the biggest options. So um, at times with nonprofits, you have a board and sometimes the people on your board may not agree with what you would like to do. And so I wanted to make sure that nothing stopped people from doing what they needed to do for their child and that the parents had the power because I know in the public school system, you know, I was a slave to the school board. I'm a slave to the principal. I'm a slave to the superintendent. If they tell me I can't do something, I can't do it. And I wanted to make sure that, like I said, the parents are in the driver's seat. They can decide, you know, if we want to go on vacation for three weeks, go on vacation for three weeks. That's fine. Just let me know, you know, or if you feel like, you know, my kid should be excelling faster. And I'm like, okay, let's talk to your kid and you let's see what's going on. Do they want to excel faster? If the kid doesn't want to excel faster, I'm going to say, Hey, look, they don't really want to excel faster. <laughs> you know, even though you may want them to, we got to work at their pace because it's all about them. So I wanted to make sure it was child-centered. So that's why we, uh, we're a for-profit school. and But we do have scholarships. I don't turn any students away um, due to the ability to not be able to pay. And I also allow uh, foster students, kids who are foster in foster care to uh, come for free because they may go from home to home. And usually what falls through the cracks is their education because they're going from school to school they switch homes at times. So we want to be the place where literally if they're a first grader, they can still come back 12 years from now, you know, and we have their records. They can log in. So that parent never has to worry, you know, where they end up. That kid never has to worry about where are my school records? Where is this? Where is that? Where is my support system? We have it for them.
0: Wow. So, So this seems like it would be a full-time plus endeavor for you yes <laughs> so so as a uh, educational consultant you know are you doing that also on the side or it's you're pretty much piling all your energy and your efforts into the school right now and that's where the all your skill set is uh focused
1: yeah so i am doing educational consulting and i'm doing the school so um I also ran a couple other businesses because I'm, I'm in the fitness realm as well. <laughs> so uh, due to COVID, and I always say it's divine intervention because um, once, you know, gyms closed down, you know, I couldn't do anything fitness related. You know, my, my biggest business was Pure Aqua Water-Based Fitness and Wellness where everything was water-based. So we did, you know, Aqua Kickboxing, Aqua Zumba, all that good stuff. Well, once COVID hit, all my personal training clients, all my physical therapy clients, all those people They couldn't come to the gym anymore. They couldn't go to any pools. And so that kind of shut everything down and allowed me to really run and develop the school. So um, I'm focusing on that 100% now. And I'm also trying to get out there and make sure parents know they have options. A lot of parents feel trapped, especially with COVID. They feel like, I have to be a teacher and I have to to do their job. And it's like, no, you don't have to do their job, but you can't take control of your child's education. If you feel like you're not getting a fair shake, Or if, you know, they have your child sitting on Zoom for three hours um, playing with their cat, you know, I've seen that, (laughs) where, you know, you don't feel it's appropriate, you have a choice. You don't, it doesn't have to be, you know, a charter or another public school, you have an option where you have control, you are in the driver's seat. So I want to empower parents um, to do that. And I also, you know, make sure that I can consult with districts, because I've been kind of doing this whole digital thing long before, you know. People were doing this long before it was, you know, distance learning, quote unquote. You know, I've been doing a flipped classroom for years where my lectures were online, homework was online. Kids would go online to get help. They would text me or email me at night, you know, if they were doing homework and they were stuck and I could answer back, even if it's 10 p.m. If you're on Gmail, I'm, I'm answering back. So I've been kind of doing this all along. And this is just kind of the manifestation of everything that I've been doing all along.
0: So, so up until, in- so you're, you you had been teaching math for three years, you said.
1: So um, exclusively for three years, math. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And that was that was in like what kind of school?
1: Oh, so um, for the last three years, so I was in Vallejo Unified for four years, and that was um, Hogan Middle School, and then I was in Crockett for one year, my last year teaching last year. So. Um, Crockett is is really interesting because they are kind of a small blue collar town. They're right in between, you know, Richmond and Vallejo, so right. they, they call them Sugar City because they have a CNH factory there.
0: Oh yeah so, yeah yeah exactly right where the bridge is and all
1: that exactly. Yeah, very, so they're very very, very, very hilly, very place. beautiful, um, yeah. very small district. So um, it is a three school district. <laughs> Meanwhile, you know, Vallejo was, you know, they, they in her, they, I think in their whole district, they have 1,200 students. And when I was in Vallejo at Hogan Middle School, the middle school had 1,200 students. So, big difference, very big difference. Um, population is similar, similar. So, um, I was finding the, the same population
0: thing mixed, you mean? Or?
1: Yeah, it's a mixed population. Yeah. So, um, it's, it's really interesting because, um, the barriers you move, just like the barriers microclimate they have microclimates of students as well so my experience in Hayward was different at, at Hayward I was in you know a low performing school that was a bilingual school bilingual in Spanish and then you know and the next year I was at a school that was high income they were right outside of Stonebrae they actually used Stonebrae Elementary and that was on the top of the hill where literally you know they had a gate and the school was outside of the gate and the teachers could not go into the country club because we didn't make enough money <laughs> for lunch so you know you I had that experience where, you know, I had a, a, a father come in and tell me you're turning my daughter into a drone because she has to do homework like everybody else. Why can't she have her own separate homework assignments? Why can't she have everything personalized to her? And I'm going, there is no way I can do that for you, sir. You know, <laughs> so that experience and having that parent come in who's an entrepreneur because he's going, I'm an entrepreneur. I didn't really need college. I, you know, I didn't really need the school thing, but she's going because she has to. It's a different perspective or you have those other parents who are like I want my kid knowing mandarin so they enroll their kindergartner in the mandarin bilingual program so they can have a competitive advantage and it doesn't matter that they're not chinese or that they you know their family doesn't speak mandarin they want their kid to have yeah. that advantage so i went from there to you know all these different other schools and and schools in the middle you know i've been in oakland and richmond and just seeing all these different students and the interesting part is even though people may have different socioeconomic statuses, kids are all the same. <laughs> you know, they're all the same. They're just kids. And if you yeah. give them what they need and feed them what they need, you know, academically and emotionally, they'll perform. So, you know, my experiences teaching math in Vallejo were that I found some of the smartest kids in math who didn't know they, they knew math. They would tell me I'm horrible at math. And I'm like, how are you horrible at math? when you just did this problem and you just did this one and this one, and you just aced this test. And they're like, well, because everybody else told me that And I'm going, I don't care what they told you. This is proof right here. I just talked this to you yesterday and you've mastered it. And once they, they saw that, that they had value and they knew this stuff, then there was no stopping them. I literally had, um, I had the pleasure to have kids in sixth grade. And then the next year, I just taught seventh grade math straight. And I had sixth graders who straight failed math, like bombs math, like F math, you know. And I had them the next year, and they caught on. And they were going, oh, this is what the expectation is. The expectation isn't down here. I don't give an A for putting your name on the paper just because you're supposedly poor. You have trauma. No, I give you an A when you show me you've mastered the curriculum. And so these kids were going from an F to an A. And they're going, how are these kids doing that? I'm going, because they changed their mindset. It's all about their mindset. And it's all about making sure they understand that you can be successful at this. It doesn't matter. And I tell them, I said, when you come in this classroom, we don't care what happened outside. We don't. I said, this is a safe place. This is the learning center. This is where you learn. So whatever is going on outside of this, I said, I've got things going on outside, you know, up here. I said, but when we come here, this is a safe space. This is where we learn. This is where we you know, we explore things and there's never a, a dumb question or a stupid question. So, you know, it's, it's a great equalizer is what I say when you come in and you set that expectation, whether, you know, your mom makes $200,000 a year or your mom makes $20,000 a year. You're still expected to do the same thing. I don't care. <laughs> you know, we still want you to have the right mindset. So, you know, that's that's how I see it.
0: And, and so parents will enroll their children in your school. hmm. And, and um, it seems like you have a, a fairly high expectation that the parents are going to be highly engaged. Now, there are yeah. parents who probably aren't. I mean, you talked about the, the entrepreneurial dad who, who wanted the daughter to do certain things or individualized program. That would be like it sounds like that'd be like a really ideal person mm-hmm. uh, for your school. But mm-hmm. if, if a parent says, well, I really, you know, I want to be involved, but not that involved. Because a lot of parents, they don't want to be involved necessarily in education. That's why they just like, you know, they're freaked out because they're at home and, and their kids are. They have to participate in the schooling and some of them don't want that. Right. Are those parents also like readily, warmly accepted in your program or do parents have to have a certain standard of, of engagement?
1: So the parents do have to engage. They're an integral part. I tell parents, you won't, I won't require you to do homework with your kids every night because that's what we have our teachers and our tutors for. So, But you do have to have an interest in your students' education. So I've had parents come to me and go, you know, what? my kid hates school. I, I didn't do well in school. You know, we want them in your program so they can just hurry up and finish. And I'm going, you're not really the ideal parent because when I call you and say, hey, you know, we need to pick your kids' classes, I need you to actually call me back. And I've had that experience where I'm calling this parent and they're going, oh, yeah, I'll get to it. And I'm going, the longer you delay, the longer it's going to take your kid to start this program and your kid's not going to take it seriously. So I'm like, you know, we we only have 100 spots. So I really want the students who can benefit the most. I don't want people dragging through my program, you know, just because they want to, to try to finish quicker. I said it's not a shortcut. It's really built for creating thinkers and creating lifelong learners. So if the parent is really engaged, the kid won't be engaged either. And it wouldn't be a fit. And it'd be a disservice because now I can't accept somebody else because this parent's kind of taking up a spot or this kid's kind of taking up a spot and they're not utilizing the program, you know, this way. And I tell people virtual education isn't for everybody. I mean, a lot of the time I felt like we were a babysitter in the public school system. It's like, I don't care if my kid just threw up outside, they're going to school. You know, and that's the way it was. And a lot of the times the kids, I couldn't blame them because I'm going, like I had one girl and she was like sick all day. And I'm going, it was when I taught sixth grade and I was like, you know, you threw up about four times, (laughs) you know, why can't we call your mom? She's like, my mom's busy. She's at work. And I go, okay, I understand. I'm a mom too. And I said, if my kid throws up once at school, I've got to leave and go get her because that's my job as a parent. And so she's like, well, 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 she works in Redwood City and we're in Vallejo. And I'm going, it's still her obligation because now, you know, you can't learn. You're not in a condition to learn. So, you know, the parent has to take responsibility. If they don't see the value in taking responsibility and, and taking care of that kid physically, you know, let alone, you know, their education, then it's the program wouldn't work for them.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. So there's a pretty rigorous application process that you go through.
1: Yes. So they do have to take four assessments, like we kind of talked about in the beginning. They have to take the um, learning style, personality, career inventory, and then the ELA and math um, tests. So they take all those, and then we we sit there after each kind of test. I present it to the kids and the and the parents, and I go, "Look, this is like a learner kid is." And a lot of the times, the kids be like, "That's me! Yeah, I got it!" They, they get really excited because nobody ever sits down in a classroom when you've got about you know. 32 kids and goes, Hey, this is how you learn. This is what, you know, this is what your personality type is. This is what you do. And you know, parents and kids alike, they're like, that's what I do. That's me. That's me. And they get really excited because now we're starting this personal development. It's about me and my success, not about us as a class or not about me getting in trouble, which is usually when you know kids get that one-on-one it's when you're being sent to the principal's office or during a parent teacher conference, you know, it's like, Oh, they're, they do this. They're not doing this. So, At this point, everything that we're working towards when we do all these assessments is discovering who they are and who they're going to become as a person and how to make them successful. So it's very empowering. So even though it's a little rigorous and, you know, I created the system and I was like, this is really rigorous. But when I get to the end and that parent gets that, you know, 78 page report or 84 page report all about their kid, they're like, wow. You know, they really sit down and go, wow, somebody took the time out. To really see what makes my kid tick, to really hit all the points and make sure they're successful going forward in the future. So now with this information, it's kind of like when the doctor tells you, you, you know, you've got high blood pressure. Now you've got to do something about it. Right. So that's how I feel with all the assessments. It's like, OK, now this is what we're going to do about it. See all this stuff. See how your kid learns. See, you know, what their people will love. Well, now let's apply it to their life and let's let's watch it grow. So that's what what the process is.
0: So do you, do you also do a personality assessment of
1: the parents? No, we don't. But I, I, I spend a lot of time talking to the parent. And it's really interesting because um, some parents are what I call lawnmower parents. And I've, I've come across a lot of those. And that simply is, I want to make sure the road is really smooth for my child. I don't want them to be able to, to have any, you know, any issues. Nothing stands in their way. I will, I will knock out whatever stands in their way. And that's not how students really learn. They've got to learn through experiencing, you know, the ups and downs of life. So I have a lot of parents who go, well, maybe if I, since it's online, if I were to log in as my child and if they didn't finish something, would I be able to, I'm going, no, you can't (laughs) because they have their own log on and they can see what their child is doing, but they're not able to change things. So Um, I've, I've encountered a lot of parents who want to do it for their kid because they want the best, but that's not what's really best for the kid because they don't get to learn. And so, and, and that builds character. You know, there's no way you can kind of build grit and character and perseverance unless you go through things. And a lot of parents, they don't understand that. So they want to shelter their kid from that. So when I come across those parents, I'm like, look, or I get the ones who, Oh yeah, they're going to be a lawyer. And I talk to the kid and the kid's like, I don't want to be a lawyer. I want to be this or that. I'm going, okay, look, I talked to your kid. (laughs) This is the deal. This is what they say. Okay. And they're like, well, no. And I'm going, well, we're going to go with what the student's doing or saying they want to do, because that's the only way for them to be successful. And you have to let them forge your own path. I haven't come across anybody yet who's kind of, you know, stood their ground and said, no, we're going to design the program for, you know, whatever I want them to be. They usually kind of bend, especially when they see the personality assessments and all this other stuff. And I'm going, OK, see how this leans towards this. And I usually show them um, career choices for the personality as well. So I'm like, yeah, they said they want to be this. And it's kind of right. It kind of aligns with everything that, you know, they are and, and how they are and, and what their interests are. Then the parents go, oh, OK, they're they're actually an individual. They start to recognize their student as an individual, not as this is my kid and, a you know, an expression of me, an extension of me. <laughs>
0: That's, that's so interesting. I know that um, in my practice, I do a lot of evaluation of people for, for natural medicine things. And, mm-hmm. and I, it can be quite detailed with a lot of this exam, that and questionnaire, and then results. Mm-hmm. And I'd come up with like a report. Sometimes it's pretty thick. You know, I okay. share it over right. time. I say, okay, this is a report of findings time. And that's sort of my way of dealing with things. Okay. I like reports. Right. I'm a knowledge. I like a lot of information. But there's people who can't stand that. And what I found is that when I knew the the personality type of the other person, so example, there's some people who are action type. They just want bullet points. They want to get to the bottom line right away. And so I go, you know, here's this report. You know, we've been going over this little by little. This is the full thing. Would you like me to go through it in detail? Or do you want me to just cut to the chase? They say, cut to the chase. (laughs) How much (laughs) is it going to cost? How long is it going to take? And that's all they want. And if I went through that whole report, I would have killed it. They yeah. wouldn't have gone yeah. along with me. So that's why I was wondering, you know, it is. I often find that understanding the personality type of the other person enables me to communicate in their style mm-hmm. so that it's more palatable. Like I speak Japanese. That's my second language. I know some Spanish. So I study a lot of languages. And, and personality types and speaking in that personality type's language often it creates a a, a better relationship. And, you know, I can, if, if they want to get more healthy and I have a way to get there, I have to communicate it in such a way that they're going to buy in. Yeah. (laughs) And, and so uh, that's why I find, you know, the personality assessments as being very helpful too, in that kind of communication process. Mm -hmm. And so you're also teaching that to the students so that they can communicate with, Adults into the workplace more effectively and that type of thing. Yes. that's part of yes. it anyway. I mean, you just started recently,
1: so. Yeah, and that's part You're of it. Ready and ready. like I tell people, especially, you know, coming from corporate America, and I said, it does not matter how, how great your resume is. If they don't like you, they're not going to hire you. And I have done a lot of hiring and it was just, you know, your resume looks great, but you know what? I don't really, I don't really like their personality or they don't, or what they say goes against what we're about here, the culture of the company. So if they go, you know, if we are, you know, if we're all about projects where we work in teams, and that person's not a team player, then they don't really fit our culture. And and I told kids, I said, I don't care if you graduated from Stanford. If you can't, you know, go and blend in with that team, you know, they may still hire you, but you're going to be an outsider. And eventually it's not going to be fun for either party. So knowing and understanding, you know, (laughs) uh, and teaching them that or how to pick up on things. Sometimes people don't pick up on things. Like for example, you're talking about personality types. I can usually tell those personality types who want to cut to the chase, and then I will mimic that. So kids need to sometimes learn to recognize that and learn those natural positives. So you know, there are some people out there too who they just keep talking, 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 talking. They don't give the person time to respond, or if they stop talking, they're t- thinking about their next response. They're not really listening. So having teaching students to listen and understand what somebody's saying before they form their opinion is really key, I found. And I noticed that, uh, you know, in the classroom, a lot of kids have tuned out the teacher. So I would say something and they'd be like, eh, she'll just say it again. And I'm like, I'm not going to repeat myself. And they're going, but why not? I wasn't I wasn't listening. I'm like, well, why weren't you listening? I'm like, if I'm talking, it's important. You know? So they had to learn that if I said something, because I didn't talk a lot. <laughs> when, I, when I lectured, I have 55 minutes and usually it's about 15 to 20 minutes lecturing. And then we do independent work. So because it's kind of, you know, I'm, I do, we do, you do. So, you know, if you didn't catch it, you got to let me know because I'm not going to sit there and repeat the same thing over and over again. I'm not going to lecture at you for 55 minutes because you tune out, you know, just human nature. Even as an adult, I tune out, you know, if somebody's just kind of droning on. So teaching, you know, teaching kids how to listen is a, and teaching adults how to listen, sadly, is a big deal because, you know, most people don't listen very well. And that's essential in being able to pick up on cues and social cues. And um, especially a lot of the kids I'm getting in are from different cultures. So, um, you know, being so close to Silicon Valley, you know, I've had interactions with Silicon Valley and it's like, you know, I'm hearing from different people like, yeah, we have to teach them, you know, American things sometimes. So they don't realize that, okay, in America, this is acceptable in your country. this, This was acceptable, but it doesn't work here. I mean, they even even had to do that for us for um, professional development when I was at the Mandarin (laughs) school. So they said, you know, if you are talking to the student who is Chinese and you're in a position of authority and they felt like they did something bad, they're not going to make eye contact, you know, because they're being reprimanded. So they're not going to look you in the eye. But as a teacher who is an American, you're going, look at me when I talk to you. So there's a miscommunication because the, the student thinks, oh, I'm being you know respectful by not looking at them when they're, you know, when they're reprimanding me. And the teacher's going, you're not paying attention, you're not listening to me. So there's that disconnect, but we want to make sure that we bring them together culturally so that they understand, like, okay, the teacher wants you to look at them so they can understand that you're 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 on the same level, you're connecting, not you know, and and so it's it's really interesting in making sure that you know we understand where that student's culture is coming from and where they're going into what kind of workplace they're going into, what they may encounter. And you know, a lot of the times when people don't look you in the eye when you talk to them, they figure you're not trustworthy. And I'm like, no, 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 they're trustworthy. They're just from a different culture. <laughs> so That's things exactly like that. Right.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and also, um, you know, knowing the neurolinguistic programming and eye movements, you know, mm-hmm. uh, people will say, oh, well, they aren't looking at me in the eye. Well, yeah, maybe they're thinking about what you just said, and they're they're it's triggering a memory, mm-hmm. and they're actually you know, really engage with what you're doing because it's like, oh, I understand. And it takes a little processing, but they aren't staring you directly in the eye. And yeah. so they may think you're a liar, but it's, it's not. So it's, it's a fascinating, I mean, I find I find human behavior and, and human beings is extremely interesting. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, and, you know, I lived in Japan for three years. So there's the whole Japanese culture that's that I know. I've lived in a lot of different places around the world and actually having some, knowing that, individuals may or it's hard to say I mean the people that you're working with are likely to uh, in the future have many more intercultural uh, situations and so life is complex because you shift from one country and culture to the next and the whole behavioral patterns could be upside down and and actually educating children and getting them to know that okay in these circumstances you don't look at them and these circumstances you do look at you know, it's, it, it can be very complex.
1: Oh, yeah. And, and you know, I think it's really important to teach them just body language and being observant. So the more they know about human behavior and the more they're aware of their own behavior, they can adjust. Right. So, yes. you know, so if they're yes. thrown into a situation that's foreign to them. And it's like, oh, what do I do? I'm like, I want them to know. OK, relax. Look around. Observe. Be observant. OK, Yo, know, let's see, let's try to figure it out. What you know about, you know, human interaction and body language and and just everything. Use all of your, your senses to kind of gauge what's going on around you. And a lot of the times we don't slow everything down for students to be able to do that. Everything's being thrown at them. Boom, 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 boom. Do this, do that, do that. They don't get a chance to just kind of go, okay, let me look around my surroundings. Let me try to understand what's going on here and understand themselves. Because a lot of the time students, especially when they're younger, They just react. Something happens, they react. And we want to teach them that, no, calm down. Think about it before you react. And, you know, in corporate America, we see it all the time. It's like, oh, this person thought that this email was aggressive. So they reacted and it's going, I'm going, wait, stop. That's not what they said in the email. They're like, well, that's what I read. I'm like, well, I have the email pulled up here. That's not what they said. That's what they thought was going on because of how they were reading it or their perception. And so we want to basically teach students, like you can't, you know, you can't understand everything that will go on and anticipate every single, you know, idiosyncrasy that may happen. But you can at least be aware of your own feelings and aware of the situation to kind of pick up on what's going on, rather than just having a reaction or, you know, like a knee-jerk reaction.
0: Right. Right. So it's more of a of a response versus a reaction. Exactly.
1: Exactly. And and that's what you'll find in the classroom. I know when I have behavior problems you know, I would try different tactics that nobody else was using. So, you know, for that kid who was purposely trying to, you know, throw a wisecrack out there or disrupt the whole learning and go, okay, um, or I ignore it. And they are like, I keep pushing that button. She's ignoring it. And all the, so all the other students are ignoring it and they're going, this isn't working. This is weird. Or what I'll do is go, they go, I don't want to be here. I'm like, okay, bye. You can go, you can go right next door. And they're like, I can leave. Yeah. You said, you don't want to be here. I wouldn't want to hold you against your will. You know? So, And then they go, wait, nobody's ever done that. You know, so it's the opposite reaction. So I would do something where it would throw them off and make them think. And they go, well, I don't want to leave because maybe I'll miss out on something. Or they'll go, fine, I'll leave. And then they leave. And then it's just like nothing, nothing was different. Nothing changed. You know, they're, now they're just not a part of the group anymore. And they go, well, I didn't want that to happen. So, you know, we want the kids not to just have a reaction. We want them to, you know, think about things before they, they, they act. And so, and that's a really important part of adulthood and avoiding mistakes instead of, you know, trying to, you know, mow all those mistakes down or try to mow all those situations down and make it nice and smooth. We want to know that when they come to, you know, something that feels insurmountable, they need to take inventory of themselves and the situation and then react.
0: And and one last thing, uh, uh, I know that this is beyond what we originally talked about, you know, the <laughs> half hour. But but um, it's it's said so much that the attention span of the typical, at least American, mm-hmm. um, maybe worldwide, has gradually gotten shorter and shorter and shorter. Like in nineteen ninety five, maybe it was twelve seconds, and mm-hmm. and like five years ago, is eight seconds. And so, is there any? insight that you have is why that's happening. And I mean, certainly in a teaching situation, if, if a person's attention spans eight seconds or five seconds, or even in sales, they say you have three seconds to catch their attention or they're Mm -hmm. gone. Mm -hmm. How do you, how do you integrate that into a a curriculum that holds someone's attention long enough that they're actually going to learn?
1: If it's interesting, like I always talk about my daughter, my daughter is going to be 13 next month. And, you know, she is a quick learner. Thank you. She's a a quick learner, you know. And if something seems kind of boring to her, she's like, eh, next. But if she's interested in it, she could sit up there and watch YouTube videos for hours. And I'm like, are you seriously watching this person fill a bathtub with peanuts? Okay. (laughs) And now you're watching this. And it's like, it'll be hours and hours and hours. Or, Or the favorite one she does is watch somebody else play a video game. For hours, and I'm going. But you're not playing the game; they, you're watching them play the game. And she's like, "Yeah, it's interesting." And so, I think if you tap into what they're interested in, they'll pay attention. It's only. Yeah,
0: but what if it's just what if it's just like wasted heartbeats? I mean, like I when I've gone into into classrooms as a substitute teacher, uh-huh. I'll say, and they'll say, "Well, why are you here if you're so so and so so and so? You're a doctor in and this and that. I go, uh-huh. "Well, because uh-huh. I have daughters." And I, my daughter, my two daughters, I want other people in the world along with them who are smart and bright and engaged, who can solve problems. That's one of the reasons why I'm here, because I want to somehow contribute to other people, supporting my daughters and having this interaction. And also, I, I say that, listen, I have so many heartbeats in my life. You have so many in your life. You may not realize the value of your heartbeats, but... I don't want my time to be wasted. If I'm going to say something or teach something, I want it to be really valuable. Something contributes to you because I have so many heartbeats. So, you know, if someone's watching video games of somebody doing video games for like hours on it, okay, that's fine. I think that's a waste of heartbeats.
1: <laughs> it, it so is. And, you, you know, know? I, I try to make sure that, you know, and when I was in the classroom, I try to keep it really fresh. So sometimes for science, when when we would have a Wednesday, it'd be, a, you know, a shorter day, so it'd be a 40-minute class. We would watch Mythbusters, and we, we wouldn't watch the whole Mythbusters. We're watching right. watch one myth, and one myth's probably about five minutes. Right. And, it, and so what I would do is have them interact. I was like, okay, um, if they drop a penny from the Empire State Building, would it kill somebody if they hit somebody below? You know, and I put that myth up there. And now they're going... I don't know. That's weird if they've never seen it before. And sometimes, you know, I have kids who like really like the Discovery Channel and they've seen it before and I'm like, don't ruin it. But they would have a worksheet and it's like, talk about it amongst yourselves. And then they'd actually watch it. And then I'd pause it and I go, okay, what do you think is going to happen? Now I'm creating that. Okay. It's small increments of changing what you're doing. You're still working on science, but you're, you're stopping and you're changing gears so that right. they've got to think they're, they're not in that same thought pattern. It's like, oh wait, now she stopped the video. Now she's asking us, what do they do? How are they testing it? Okay, what's their hypothesis? You know, now we're using scientific methods. They don't realize it. I'm asking these questions, but they're not realizing they're filling in this worksheet that's really the scientific method disguised as a worksheet, <laughs> you know, but they're thinking about different things. So now they're, it's not just science, but they're interacting with the curriculum. So I think it's exactly. important To interact with the curriculum in little bits and pieces, because that's what they like about a video game, right? They don't just keep on going on the same path. They're jumping over things. They're killing things. It's maybe the same game, but they're doing different things. They're interacting with different things along the way. And I think that's what's important. I know when I taught kindergarten, they told me it's five minutes on, five minutes off. And so they're like, you need to plan, you know, a lot of curriculum because they're attention spans. And I understood it. I'm like, okay, but well, we're planning all this stuff, but you read them a story for like 45 minutes and they were engaged. They were at the edge of their seats. So, you know, it's a matter of, you know, interacting with the students and having them interact with the curriculum, you know, in a way that stimulates their minds where they don't just feel like they're sitting here and okay, yeah, here we go again. This really, you know, this really long paragraph about, you know, nothing that I care about. But now you're talking about velocity. and Before I couldn't get you talking about velocity you know, at a penny or, you know, miles per hour and calculating miles per hour. Because I'm like, well, what's the equation that they did? like, oh, they said it was this divided by this. And I'm like, okay, well, work on the equation in your group. Let's see if you guys get the right answers that they did. And so now they're doing math, they're doing all this other stuff to try to be right and try to, you know, try to, it's, it's kind of like gamifying it. So if they feel like it's more of a game and more of, you know, an experience than just learning about velocity or science, then they're going to be interacting
0: with it more. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, actually, that, that makes a lot of sense. So, gamification and, and pattern interrupts. You
1: mm-hmm. know that term? Yeah, yes. it,
0: that's exactly yeah. what it, it reminded me of that, where you go, okay, now let's watch this. And then you stop it. Yeah. And they're going, huh? And it keeps waking <laughs> up the brain when the brain is kind of like getting into this monotonous kind of, like, oh, this is boring. Uh, what happened? Uh, what yep. happened?
1: Yeah. And, and I had, it's, and it's really funny because, you know, I would have, you know, when I was a teacher, that principals come in and go, well, that was way too fast. How are they understanding all this? And I'm like, no, 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 no. they like this. For example, we used to do sometimes the weather report and that weather guy on channel two, he, man, he talks fast. And so, you know, while he's talking about the weather, I'm going, okay, well, what did he say the weather was going to be tomorrow? And they're like, well, I think I heard. And I'm like, did you hear that? So they're like, okay, let's, let's go back and listen to it again. But they're able to to catch the information and write it down and record it. Or they go, next time around, I've got to really listen. I've really got to pay attention so I catch it. So, you know, if you kind of make it to that, you know, like you said, pattern interruption. They're not just listening to this really long thing. You're going, boom. Okay, now let's look at what you just heard. Let's go back. And so, you know, it teaches them to recall information. And it also teaches them to pick out what's important. And that's what you want them to be able to do. Because half the time these kids are like, okay, I read this thing. Uh, Okay. Okay. What'd you get out of it? They're like, I don't know. But if you break it down into small little pieces and they understand what your expectation is, what you want them to learn, and what they should be taking from that information, then now, you know, it's not boring anymore. They understand. So now when they're in a monotonous conversation, they can kind of pick out, okay, I kind of got to pay attention to this because they're going to expect me to know this. So I'm going to pay attention to this, but the rest of the stuff, I'm going to hear it. But eh. so it teaches them to do that because that's something that I know I did in college where it's like you're sitting there for a three hour lecture and it's like, okay, what did he say the midterm was going to be on? Okay, so he's just telling a story right now. He's going to tell that story for about an hour and a half. So I can just enjoy the story, you know, or I can, you know, take a bathroom break or whatever. But I know that when he gets to this part, I'm going to have to really pay attention. So we want those kids to be able to have those skills and even bring that to the workplace. Like, OK, this is all the noise. I, I call it noise sometimes. This is all the noise going on. But what do you really need to know? What are the facts that you need to know? What do you need to learn? What is the expectation? What are you getting out of this? And that's why also in my classroom, when the kids come in, the, the learning target is on the board. This is by the end of the class. You want to learn A, B and C. So they know a lot of the times you go into teachers classrooms and there's no learning expectation. They don't know what they're supposed to learn. So they're bored out of their minds because you're talking at at them for 55 minutes. And it's like, okay, what am I supposed to get from this? If you let them know immediately, like, look, by the end of this class, you need to know how to divide fractions. You need to know how to add like terms. You need to know how to do this. They'll be listening for it. And they'll know whether they've got it or not. By the end of the class, they're like, eh, I'm a little fuzzy on this, but I think I got this and I think I got that. So, you know, that kind of feeds into them taking control of their education instead of you placing the education upon them. Now they have an active
0: role. Sounds great. Well, this has been really fun, fun conversation. And uh, so this is Jasmine Johnson, and she is the founder and principal also of All Aspects Academy. And where is it located? I mean, I know it's a virtual thing.
1: So we we do have a base in Oakland. Yeah. (laughs) So we are based in Oakland, but we are virtual. So, you know. I literally say you could do our, our program in China or you can do it right down the street in Richmond. So <laughs> you can do it anywhere. So we are virtual. Um, we are Bay Area based. So when we start to do hybrid things, we will be doing things across the Bay Area.
0: Okay. And and so uh, for those who are listening on the podcast, um, you can get information about the school and how to contact Jasmine Johnson at um, in the, in the notes of the podcast. So come back to the podcast, you'll get the notes, and you can contact the school because it sounds like a fantastic place uh, to learn. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Natural Solutions with Dr. J with a focus on education. You can contact us. We would appreciate it if you would come and be part of the Supercharged Student Success Teacher Nurturing Training page on Facebook. That supercharged student success teacher nurturing training on Facebook. See you there.